You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to another Britflix Frightfest preview podcast with Adam Mason. Hello, Adam. Hello, Stuart. How are you? I'm doing very well. Bit warm, bit muggy in the old London town right now. What's it like where you so are? I, so I hear it's uh, lovely. Yeah, seventy-four degrees. It's telling me here. Nice, nice. Now, what what film have we come have we come to talk about? Uh, Hangman. Hangman. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of Hangman? Sure. It's, uh, it's about a, a family who go away on holiday, uh, and when they come back, their house has been broken into. Um, and, and what they don't realize is that the person who broke in never left and is now living in their, in, in their attic space, uh, basically watching their every move, becoming increasingly obsessed with, with the, the family and kind of, you know, uh, fucking around with their lives without them knowing it. Now, on the trailer... The phrase "based on true events" flies up. Uh huh. Is that the inspiration for the story? It, yeah, kind of. You know, it's. Uh, I forgot that was in that trailer. That, yeah, we were going to take that out actually, <laughs> but it's kind of based. On, <laughs> it, it was. It was inspired by true events, which is okay. similar, I suppose. There were there were, there were a, a spate of um, of cases where families were finding homeless people living in their crawl spaces and attic spaces. Um, which is a very sinister thought. So it was inspired by those. There were, there were maybe four or five of those cases within a month period. You know, okay. The Daily so, Mail was all over it back in the you know two years ago or whatever. So um, the inspiration came from from that idea and uh, or, or from those those stories. So so it's um, like it's like the strangers is based on on true story that kind of notion. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, That's it's what? not really based on the true story. I will. <laughs> I will dispel that that rumor immediately that I started. Okay, okay. Now, look, if a film if a film was split into four parts, and it was it was twenty five percent mystery, twenty five percent scares, twenty five percent gore, twenty five percent psychological, 
as the perfect, uh-huh. as a kind of absolutely equal mix. How would your film figure in that kind of makeup? How would the percentages differ? Um, I mean, it's, it's almost entirely psychological, I would say. Okay. There is, uh, there are, there's some moments of, uh, violence, but it's not a gory movie by any means. It's yeah. kind of the opposite of that. It's very much, uh, you know, I think it puts the, uh, audience in the headspace of the intruder, which is quite interesting. It's, um, it's oh, a found footage movie, which I'm, I don't know if you know that, but, uh, it's, um, and I, you know, I'm not a big fan of found footage movies as I don't think anyone is particularly these days, but, um, you know, there's a couple that have done, done it right. I think the first, uh, the, the Blair Witch uh, project is a good example of doing it right. And then the first paranormal activity movie I thought was good. But apart from that, it's always, it always has the inherent flaw of, um, you, you wonder why the characters are motivated to continue filming as soon as their lives are put in danger. And, and it just becomes, um, fundamentally a, a nonsense to me as soon as that happens, you know. It's yeah, I mean, it's kind of... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, have you, have you seen the film The Borderlands? I haven't, no. That was, that was, um, they, they used a neat trick where people were there to investigate a phenomenon. So they were wired up to film what was going to happen. So they had yeah. cameras strapped to their head. It wasn't like they were filming in the sense of, yeah. we filmed something. It was, they were there to observe. And that worked really well right. as, as an artifice. And then I think, have you seen the film Conspiracy? Conspiracy? No. But I'm aware of it, yeah. Yeah, that one, in that one, they, they wear digital cameras in the typing. So it's like right. you're getting a point of view from two people in the room that's from a typing, uh-huh. which is kind of a nice way of yeah. working around it. But anyway, go on. Yours is a, yours is a found footage. Although I, th- I think looking at your footage, there is like, you know, it's like surveillance footage as much as it's found footage, isn't it? It's that kind of... Static yeah, I mean, rather than story. running around camera. The story is that this guy basically moved into this family while they're on their vacation and set up cameras around their house so he could watch watch their every move and basically record it. And he's kind of making his own film of them, if you like. Um, right, okay. And, I, and the thing that I think it does successfully is that it it puts the uh, camera in the in the hands of the antagonist. So you know, obviously, he wants to film as much as possible hmm. um, to, to the to the bitter end and. Um, me that that makes a lot of sense and it's also i mean it was also as well as those uh, news stories it was inspired by the hitchcock quote about tension and how you know tension is a is a bomb in a family family car uh, where the audience knows about the bomb but the, the family doesn't of course yeah and so I, yeah so i kind of took the took that as inspiration and 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 the bomb is the intruder and 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 the, you know the family don't know that he's in their house but the audience does so there's just this uh, massive uh, tension that you get from from that setup, which works um, really interesting. Interestingly, I think because uh, it's just full of tension from the beginning. As soon as the audience understands what's going on, they're kind of it's kind of like car crash TV, I suppose. No, no, no. Sounds 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 properly scary, and it is that idea of the unknown intruder, as opposed to while it's terrifying to see the hear the windows smash and. And the lights go on, and you know, and somebody running around your house. The idea that you're not aware, and like you say, but we, the audience, are because we're seeing the world through the antagonist as opposed to the protagonist point of view. That's nice. That's a yeah. nice, nice reversal of the usual. What, what is usually our expectations, which is the camera catches something that's horrible, as opposed to the camera yeah. camera being part of what the antagonist is doing. Yeah, it's also his his it's his point of view, so it's his version 
of the narrative, which is quite interesting. So the scenes that just kind of suddenly cut off because he's not interested in what someone is saying, for example, he's only interested in certain things. That's fascinating. So you're, you're, yeah, so you're seeing a, you're seeing a movie that a madman made essentially in the. I well, think that works really well. Well, you're selling it to me, Adam. You're selling it to me. That sounds great. <laughs> so when Thank in you. The... <laughs> it, was, it, it was quite challenging, actually. Obviously, the, the way into the movie, uh, it's got a good hook, so to speak, but it was very uh, challenging to actually pull off because it it meant that we were basically writing a script where the family were taught that they have no idea that they're in peril. So the scenes are almost kind of boring, you know, because what are they taught? You're watching the, the progression of their lives, but as far as they're concerned, nothing out of the ordinary is occurring. So... Wow, um, yeah, that's, that's, I never thought of it that way, yeah, because it's like you've got the luxury of not having to set any drama up between the innocent family boring life because the drama's about to happen to them whenever you decide to pull that lead. Yeah, exactly, yeah, and also the, the kind of fundamental, the, the foundations of a horror movie are, are, tend to be that someone realises they're in danger and then uh, tries to stop it from happening. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas we, we we didn't have that at all, and it was it was interesting because it, it walks the line of becoming boring, but you just kind of you have you put all of your eggs in this tension basket and just hope that it, it carries it through. And I, you know, I think it kind of does. So. What was what would you say were the kind of hardest challenges to resolve in terms of storytelling? Sort of obviously making that decision to do it from the the antagonist's point of view is certainly an interesting choice. But what what did that present to you as storytellers in terms of challenges? Yeah, it was. Uh... It was hard to not try and throw in a load of jump scares and stuff, you know, the kind of the typical stuff that you might ex expect. Yeah. Because we, because basically, as soon as the family find out about him, they, he's going to kill them. You know, and that's just how he works. Yeah. And, and because it was found footage, we wanted to keep it very grounded and, and real. Um, so we didn't want to kind of end up with woman in peril running around the house, getting chased by a lunatic with a knife. We were actively trying to avoid that, but it it just took away a lot of those tropes of horror movies that you kind of rely on. Um, and uh, and it, 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 we made it for $20,000 or less actually and uh, and it was actually kind of a blessing because we just did it we did quite a few reshoots and we went back and changed things and the film evolved very much as we were in the process of doing it um, so the more it became apparent that it was actually the, the Intruders film we actually added a lot of him into the movie as we went along so he, he the first cut, he was hardly in it at all. You almost never saw him. Okay. But the, the final cut that you'll see, he's uh, he's in it throughout. Um, okay. And that was interesting. So it kind of we we originally we wanted him to be faceless, personalityless, because we thought that would be, you know, not understanding and not seeing the shark in Jaws, for example, is scarier than yeah, yeah, a yeah. horror movie. You see, but but the further we got along, we realised there was a kind of fascination with this guy and who he was and what his motivations were. So that was interesting, you know, basically having a protagonist who never speaks and you never see his face <laughs> was wow. quite challenging, but it was also interesting. It just felt like it was something that some, no one had really done it before, I don't think. And, no, um, no, no, so no. That, it, was fun, it was a fun challenge, and uh, I think the movie we ended up making probably wasn't exactly what we originally intended, um, but it came out better for it. Let, let me ask a sort of nerdy question here uh, in terms of screenwriting. Um, what does it look like on the page when you're uh -huh. writing this kind of action? Because you're, you're, right. you're forever locking it to a camera, aren't you? You're not saying just man walks in room as, it, as you normally would 
and then worry about right. it later. Do you do you write for the for the camp the, the 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 surveillance cameras you've got, or do you do you just write it straight and then just assume that you know living room means the camera in the corner or something? Yeah, we would only ever write camera angles when it was important to the storytelling. So you know if uh, if the intruder was in a room with one of the characters and they couldn't see him for whatever reason, but the audience could, we kind of had to point out the the geography of the cameras then. And we would also mention it when he had his handheld camera, because he basically, whenever they go to sleep, but once they go to sleep, he gets up and creeps around their house and films them while they're sleeping. And um, so it was important to differentiate the, between the fixed cameras, which he has, I think he has like 22 of them in the house or something, I can't remember. And then he has his handy cam that he walks around with. So we would make reference to that. But generally speaking, we avoided mentioning the cameras too much in the script. Okay. okay. And just focus on, focus on the story, really. Now, now, when you when you were moving forward to sort of produce the film and get ready for your shoe, what what I mean, you've talked about how the story changed from actually from not seeing him to seeing him, but um, what about what was it about the shoot that seemed to be um, maybe almost insurmountable, and especially given you were working on such a limited budget as well? Um, uh-huh. And what breaks did you get to sort of achieve what you wanted? Yeah, I mean, it was actually we shot the film in ten days. Which well, was very, very short, um, but it didn't feel rushed at all. I mean, I've done quite a few films now. I think it was my seventh or eighth feature that I've done, and everything else is everything else I've done has been very uh, stressful. You know, the shoot is always a, a, a bit of a nightmare, I would say, and uh, yeah. you feel like you're comp- compromising everything because you don't have enough money, and then you don't have enough days, and there's not enough hours in the day to yeah. really achieve what you would like to achieve. But with this, because because of the um, but the, the low budget kind of dictated the found footage thing. We kind of reversed into the situation. And then um, once we'd figured out how how this guy had set up the cameras, uh, we, we just sort of did what he would do and uh, followed his lead. And it meant that we could um, get the whole house rigged with the cameras and then, you know, press record on them. And we would just do take after take after take with the actors without ever having to cut, you know, um, and that, that meant that we could do a scene 50, 60 times if we wanted to and just shoot for an hour, <laughs> two hours, um, which is the kind of opposite of the of my experience in the low-budget indie world is that um, it, it, it always becomes frustrating me about the camera and the lights and, and you spend so much time trying to make it look like a kind of Hollywood movie that you uh, spend most of your time and energies, uh, you know, doing that. Whereas with, you know, I think the films that work really well, it's always about performance and um the actors bring so much to it um and in in this instance we kind of ignored the camera uh, um, we never lit anything particularly you know there were no lights um and there were no um there was no downtime no downtime when we were uh doing different setups so we would just you know set the cameras up and then start shooting and the actors it was all about the actors and the performance which to me was a, a kind of a new new experience and um and it made it for a, a very pleasurable shoot because we also weren't stopping and starting the whole time particularly. Um, and we would just, uh, you know, the actors were front and center. And I think for them that, that was a, a very different and enjoyable um, process and experience. So it was, so, you know, it wasn't, it was challenging, but it, it was, it wasn't um, difficult like other things I've done. Sounds very liberating. It was. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was kind of, but while we were doing it, I was thinking, are we making a dogma movie? <laughs> uh, it, it felt like we, we were in a way. We kind of uh, set up our own rules and then the rules um, just made everything a lot simpler. So, yeah, the limitations that we 
subscribed to made the, made everything um, a lot easier than it would have been otherwise. I think. What what um, perhaps without giving too much away, what oh, I'm not sure what you can say in terms of how the story pans out. But what are you most excited to see? in terms of the Fright Fest audience reaction to either a sequence or a moment or or a revelation within within the uh, within the film yeah i mean i'm i'm uh, you know the ending is is a pretty um strong moment i would say hmm. i don't know i mean it's it's, it's it's full of sort of um of very nerve shredding moments i would say yeah and it's uh, i'll be interested to see if people feel that tension i think for a found footage movie, it actually works really well in a theatre as well. You know, seeing it seeing it on a big screen like that, it's uh, it's weirdly cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a really nice look to it, um, which was uh, a bonus because I wasn't expecting that when we decided to do this found footage paranormal activity type thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, the beginning and the end are, are very strong, I think. So. Um... What do you want, when, when and where can people see it at Fright Fest? Uh, it's playing on the Saturday at one fifty on the Discovery screen, I believe. Okay, okay. Right then. Um, what we like to get all the guests to do as well on Britflix is to uh, tell us their favourite British horror movie. Uh-huh. Um, British horror movie. Probably, uh, well, there's many that I, I really love, but probably the original Wicker Man. Okay, it's my favourite, I believe. I've seen, I mean, that's probably the one I've seen the most. Anyway, what is it about I mean, Man? I just think it's one of those kind of one-off uh, film experiences. There's nothing like it before and before or after. It's, uh, you know, I, lo- I love that it's it's almost a musical. It's, I mean, it's so peculiar and it's but it's so profound as well. And I, it's kind of hard to believe that a, a, a film can come out of that period that is so unique and strong. It just no. has a kind of magic to it that I love. No, no, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's also amazing to think that originally it was 70 minutes and a B-movie to Don't Look Now. I know, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine seeing it with Don't Look Now. I mean, that, that would be one of my other choices, you know, certainly in my top five. <laughs> a couple of years ago at Fright Fest, they did, um, they did that double bill as a... As oh, they a did, wow. As a reward for um, the sleepy queue they have at Fright Fest where right. you, know, you queue up on a Saturday morning to buy the passes and they show oh, those yeah. two... But more recently, not to ministers like my kind of like my twenty-five-year-old self will be going. How the fuck did that happen? Um, my local pop-up cinema in Walthamstow—they were showing Wickerman, uh-huh. and Robin right. Hardy invited himself to do a Q and A. Oh my God! And uh, I, I sat next to Robin Hardy watching the Wickerman, which <laughs> which just freaked me oh. out. Freaked me out even more oh. the fact that he was telling me why he liked it for bits of the film. He was saying this bit's brilliant, right? He's such a lovely guy, but it, it was just like my 25-year-old self, I was just looking back in, in time and going, this would freak me out if I knew this was going to happen. That's incredible, yeah. I always wondered why he never did anything else that was on a level with that, because it's so amazingly directed, you know, so competent, and it must have been so... It's, it's such a complicated film, the way that it's put together. It's masterful how he how he directed it, I think, and... Uh, well, he, he, came, he came. You know, you know, he came from from adverts, don't you? Yeah, he was part of that kind of Alan Parker world, wasn't he? I but guess. he also came from art school, which is kind of that kind of painterly quality, which makes Wickerman so elegant. Yeah. Um, but apparently, he was telling, talking us through the shoot about how it was so, it was so rushed, 
Um, right. And so that wonderful, iconic scene of the Wicker Man falling over and the sun setting across the ocean. Yeah. All look. Not planned. Yeah. You right. Know, so, so an absolutely Amazing. iconic moment in the film was, was look, you know, it was a note, they shot it in November, so the idea you're going to get a sunset in November right. is insane, right, isn't right. it? Yeah, so it's just, it's like weird, it. you know, look, the film, the, that, that magic happened. Did, did you ever see Wicker Tree? Uh, Wicker Tree, no. That's I, his, I heard that's his sequel. Things, <laughs> it's not got the magic. Right, do, does, no, does, yeah. does Hangman have, for those people that aren't going to be coming to Fright Fest, that, that might be listening to this podcast, does does Hangman have an official release date yet? No, no. We sold it in America. Yeah, it played at South by Southwest, and we we sold the American rights. But then we've been holding on to the rest, so we're going to see what happens now. Okay. But if, you know, if anyone wants to see it, they can just uh, email me or Facebook me or something. I'm <laughs> quite easy to find, and I will send them a link. I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> That's a very kind offer. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. It's... The Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast Series. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.